Chapter 13, Activist Years On a sunny May afternoon, a few months before I retired, I was taking my lunch hour stroll in the streets of downtown Toronto when I became aware of a noise coming from nearby. I turned the corner off Bloor and headed north on Bay Street to try to see what the shouting was about, and I saw a group of young people clad in black leather and walking in a circle carrying placards and shouting the slogan, White power! White power! I had an automatic reaction, a fear, like my clenched stomach in Birkenau during selections, a certain kind of nauseating extreme fear that returned unbeckoned. And for a terrifying few seconds, the lines were blurred between past and present. I wondered, was I looking back at history or ahead? I approached the crowd, and suddenly I was face to face with a group I had heard and read about but never met in the flesh. It was the Heritage Front, a group of white supremacist neo-Nazi Holocaust deniers. My shock at this vision subsided quickly, but my anger did not. I decided to do something, anything. I approached the group. The leader, a man I later learned was Wolfgang Droge, stood in front of the meager, spontaneous gathering of pedestrians and spoke. What I caught was this. You know, there was no such thing as black slavery in the United States. I thought the next he was going to say that there was no such thing as the Holocaust, but he didn't have a chance to utter anything more because I stepped right between him and the little audience. Angry and agitated, I spoke to these curiosity seekers. Don't listen to him, I said. He's nothing but a bloody neo-Nazi. And they would like to repeat what the Nazis did in Europe 50 years ago. Droga just looked at me, surprised. Maybe it was my accent, but he must have figured he was not going to argue with me. He walked away and rejoined the group. I admit... I wasn't such a hero because there were four police officers watching the scene. One of them sensed how upset I was and came over to me and said, Lady, don't aggravate yourself. They only have a permit for 20 minutes and then they have to disperse. My luck! I cut the 20 minutes that would soon spur me to action. The group did disperse. After yelling white power many more times, I went up to the one young woman I noticed in the group and asked her, What are you doing with such scum? She looked at me and shrugged her shoulders. The image of her walking away has stayed with me to this day. I walked back to the office very disheartened and then left for the day too aggravated to do my work. Nazism, irrational hatred as we knew it in Europe, 
was dormant for a while only. It was still alive and well, and now dwelling in my adopted city. Four months later, two days after I retired, I visited the Toronto Holocaust Center, now the Neuberger Holocaust Education Center. I wanted to find out how I could get involved in fighting back against emerging assault on the Holocaust and historical truth. It was the first time in my adult life that I was able to luxuriate in total freedom, but this work could not be postponed. At the Holocaust Center, I asked the then-director Penina Zilberman what I, as a survivor, could do to combat Holocaust denial. She said, start telling your story. Learn by listening and observing others who have been doing it for a while. I wasn't sure I could tell my story, but I had to try. I was encouraged by my good friend, the late Stephen Blyer, who miraculously survived alone in Auschwitz-Birkenau until he was liberated by the Soviet army in January 1945. He was 14 years old and severely emaciated. In time, he became well-known in Montreal as a public speaker who lectured about the Holocaust and combating racism. He also became the president of the Montreal Holocaust Memorial Center, now the Montreal Holocaust Museum. His speeches taught me a lot about the relevant and important issues to emphasize when I told my own story. And so, I was catapulted into an endeavor I could never have envisaged for my last phase of life, making these years incredibly meaningful, though I am slowing down now. I became a frequent speaker in high schools and universities across Canada and in a few universities in the United States. As an activist and public speaker at the Toronto Holocaust Center for 27 years, I was also the co-chair of the Speakers Bureau for a good number of years, and I got to know many of our survivor speakers as friends, supporting them in becoming effective public speakers. This involvement eventually led me to seek a way to permanently honor our speakers who devoted so much of their time and energies to educating hundreds of young students about the Holocaust. And so, I initiated and chaired the permanent exhibit, We Who Survived, a photographic tribute to our speakers. On opening night of the exhibit, I received my real reward. About a dozen survivors who were part of the exhibit came to me to express their deep appreciation for initiating this project while they were still living and able to experience it with their families. I also participated in four March of the Living missions as a survivor facilitator for student groups. I have spoken to many hundreds of students and adults trying very hard to make my young and not-so-young audiences understand that they need to know about this unprecedented 
civilization-shattering genocide for their own sakes, to be historically knowledgeable and to be able to recognize the signs if and when something similar reemerges and combat it. I have urged the students not to cry about my sad story, but to think about the important issues I raised. That was and is my goal.